Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family this morning, online and in the Y. So fun to be together. Whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there's room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. Well, last week I told you we had some exciting news on the land and building front. I want to share that with you now before I jump into the sermon, if that's all right. Hearing no objections, I'll proceed. So, if you've been around for a while, you might remember that in the fall of 2019, we started a stewardship and vision campaign called Rooted. It was designed to buy the land on South Main Street and to do the fund architectural work of a building. Uh, The goal of that campaign was to raise $3 million, and we are a little less than halfway through that campaign. I am pleased to announce that at the little less than halfway mark, we have seen $2.8 million come in. Yeah, that's not a pledge. That's like cash in the bank. So $2.8 million has come in, and so that's the good news to share with you. Our original plan had been, let me tell you what the plan was, (laughs) the plan was that we would continue rooted for the three years to the fall of 2022. Uh, In fall of 22, if the congregation was not gasping for air, we would then follow on with a vision and stewardship campaign for the building itself. We see, one, God working in so many different people's lives to do this. You know, a a $3 million campaign doesn't happen uh, just with one person. Everyone has to contribute into that. So God's working in a lot of people's lives to bring that about. Uh, But the other thing we see is that God's opening a door for us through the excitement of the congregation. And so what we're going to do is we're going to end rooted a year early. So we're going to end rooted in the fall of 21. That's this fall for people keeping score at home. We're going to end rooted this fall and start the vision and stewardship campaign for the building this fall. So we're going to move the whole process up by a year. We, we see God opening that door for us through the excitement of you guys, you guys, the congregation. So we're very excited about that. So what I would say to you is if you have a rooted pledge, continue to just give faithfully towards that. And if when we get to the fall, you still have a rooted pr- pledge left, we'll just roll that into the building campaign. That'll be easy. We'll, we'll work out all the logistics. Uh, you could do, add a, another year to the building campaign if you needed to. We'll figure all that out. What I just want to do with you all is celebrate that the whole process has moved up a year because of your response to God and the excitement you've shown in, in your giving towards Rooted. So I say well done to each of you in a time where we could have been anxious and holding on more tightly. We're watching God shape us into more generous people towards His work in the world. So, well done and well done, and now we've got some work to do. We're excited for the fall, excited for the fall. The fall meaning the fall season, not the fall from two weeks ago where Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Okay, should clarify. Fall 21, that's what we're excited for. The sermon is this. So, growing up, The pastor of my church named Pastor Craig, the pastor of my church would ask us the question, does God care more about your character or your comfort? Does God care more about your character or your comfort? 
if you were going through a hard time or if the church was in one of those tough stretches, is a great reframing question and you could almost predict when it was going to come. Does God care more about your character or your comfort? And sometimes God will push us beyond where we are comfortable because God has some important and redemptive work to do in us and to do through us. That does not mean that God does not care about our comfort, but we also need to distinguish there. There's a difference between being comforted and being comfortable. There's a difference between being comforted and being comfortable. Does God care more about your character or your comfort? And all of this gets us back into our series of sermons called The Story, that this year we're preaching through the big picture of the Bible, that from the beginning of time God has been writing a great story in this world. He's calling all of us to come and find our place in it, that God's great story and our stories can find their completion in the redemptive work of Jesus. We're trying to make the Bible seem not so big and intimidating, and so we also have some resources that go along with the story. You can find those on the website on lakeforest.org slash Davidson, or every week on Monday or Tuesday, we send out a weekly email that has what's happening this week along with the readings for that week. There's a reading plan, there's videos you can watch if you're not much of a reader, uh, and then there's a kid's family reading plan. This is the week we move from volume one to volume two, so we've officially made the first transition to volume two. If this is your first week with us, you can go back and read the volume one reading plan if you want, or you can start at volume two. Volume one wasn't that long because it's only four weeks, so you could go back and read that, or just start with us at volume two. Either way, we want you to jump in with one of these plans. Thus far, we've watched God create the world full of beauty and order. We've watched humanity and all of creation be lured into rebelling against God. We've seen the painful consequences of that rebellion again and again, that you and I are flawed in a way that we cannot fix ourselves. And yet, as Pastor Flowers told us last week, God's redemptive plan is taking shape, and much like Noah's ark, it's going to be something we could have never guessed. It's going to be big. It's going to take a while to come together, but it will be so expansive there will be room in it for you and for me. I drew the short straw this week, and I have to preach the week after Mike Flowers was here. And so I'm going to get us into the life of Abram and Sarai, or Abraham and Sarah. This starts in Genesis chapter 12, where God's redemptive plan begins to unfold. God's going to pick up some of the broken pieces and start to make a work of art. And he starts with two broken pieces called Abram and Sarai, who will go on to be called Abraham and Sarah. Let's zoom in on Abram and Sarai. They're regular old people, both of those, regular and old. They have no kids. They have a reasonable amount of possessions. They are imperfect, but in the way that you and I are imperfect, we're not on the FBI most wanted list, at least not yet. But they are prone to lying, they're prone to lusting, they're prone to laughing at God. It's not actually clear that they knew or cared much about God. And then one day this happened. This is Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. 
Genesis 12.1, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I don't know if you're a details person or not. There are not a lot of details in God's invitation to Abram and Sarai. Where are we going? How long will it take to get there? Is there a Taco Bell along the way? The Lord says to Abram, go, leave behind the life you know, follow me where I will lead you. What are Abram and Sarai to do? I think if they had consulted with Pastor Craig, he would have asked them, is God more concerned about your character or your comfort? Perhaps a different way to ask that question is, is there a way to follow God? Or we might say follow Jesus. Is there a way to follow God while staying in the driver's seat of your life? Is there a way to follow God while staying in the driver's seat of your life? Genesis 12 continues. God says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Well, that doesn't sound so bad, but again... Where are we going? What are we doing? Where are you taking me? It's like God gave Abram and Sarai an almost blank sheet of paper and asked for their signatures. God's saying, sign on, and I'll start to fill in the details later. Agree to the plan, and then I'll start to tell you more about the plan. Follow me, and one step at a time, I'll show you where we're going. Would you sign that sheet of paper? I mean, you would really have to trust the person, in this case, trust the God that's going to fill in the details. Would you sign that sheet of paper? If you are a follower of Jesus, or if today or in the future you ever become a follower of Jesus, you have signed that paper. You have left behind the life that you knew to follow Jesus. And one step at a time, He is leading you, showing you where you're going. And so one of the most important verses of the Bible is Genesis 12, 4. It says this, So Abram went as the Lord had told him. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. In other words, here we go. Buckle in, strap on, here we go. God comes to Abram and to Sarai and says, leave the life you know and follow me to a place I will show you. God invites them to sign the almost blank sheet of paper and he'll fill in the details later. And they sign it. They say yes. They say yes to God. They follow God. So God picked up the broken pieces of Abram and Sarai and began to make his work of art, and Abram and Sarai say yes. With what little they know about God, they trust God. You may be able to relate to that. With what little they know about God, they trust God. You would think there would have been chapters before this about how much Abram and Sarai trusted God. There's nothing. With what little they knew about God, they trusted God. And they signed on without fully knowing what they had agreed to. What they had agreed to, it turns out, is a covenant. 
This is the passage that Gail read for us earlier from Genesis chapter 17, a covenant. So feel free to follow along on your sheet of paper in the gym or uh, online. You can uh, use your own Bible or a Bible app. Some people I've heard are not doing the reading plan, they're doing the listening plan, which is your Bible app will actually read the passage to you when you're working out. I work out a lot or, uh, or driving to work. Some people still do that, but the thing will read to you. That's kind of cool. I should look into that. I can watch the videos and have a computer read things to me. That's my speed. Today we're looking at Genesis 17, God's covenant with Abraham. When you hear the word covenant, what comes to mind? You might think like of an HOA covenant, a contract, do this, don't do that. In a biblical sense, there's more to a covenant than just a contract. A covenant in the Bible is a pact. It's a bond. It's a guarantee. It's a promise. A covenant might be best defined as a promise of commitment. A promise of commitment. A covenant is a promise. A covenant is a commitment. So a covenant is a promise of commitment. God's relationship with Abraham, God's relationship with Sarah is a covenant. The way God relates to His people throughout history, the way God relates to you is a covenant, a promise, a commitment, a promise of commitment. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, a covenant. So yes, God asks us to do hard things. Jesus asks us to leave the life that we've known in order to follow Him wherever that might be. God does stretch us, but He does so in a covenant, in a promise of commitment. So what I want to do today, looking at what Gail read and one other passage in the Bible, I want to explore the nature of the covenant, the sign of the covenant, and the assurance of the covenant. The nature of the covenant, the sign of the covenant, the assurance of the covenant. Say it with me. We want to look at the nature of the covenant, the sign of the covenant, and the assurance of the covenant. At least you understood the outline. Let's go. The nature of the covenant. Reading from Genesis 17, verse 3 and following. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. Skipping a little bit. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And then God promises Abraham and his descendants a land that will be theirs. You'll hear this referred to throughout the Old Testament. It is often called the promised land, a very creative name, the promised land. What is the nature of God's covenant with Abraham and Sarah? Is it a short-term agreement? Is it very limited in scope? I'll read it again. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. What words stick out to you? Or is like everlasting. 
you and your descendants. You get a, a sense of how expansive this covenant is, that it's not really a lot of fine print here and not a lot of legalese. This covenant is null and void on the third day of the eighth months of years divisible by four. God is establishing with Abraham and with Sarah an everlasting covenant to them and to their descendants after them for the generations to come to be their God. Abraham and Sarah were so taken aback by this, they laughed at God. They laughed at God because they're old. They have no children. What's all this talk about the generations to come? And yet, as God often does, He did something miraculous in their lives, and He blessed them with a son named Isaac. Isaac means laughter. Because what do you do when God makes an impossible promise, promise come true? You laugh. Maybe at first you were laughing at God, then you realize you're laughing with God. Do you see God's level of commitment to His people, His level of commitment to you, how expansive God's promise to His people is? God's promise is an everlasting covenant for you and your descendants from generation to generation. God's redemptive work has begun. God's redemptive work continues today. It's an everlasting covenant from generation to generation. We will be His people and He will be our God. So that's the nature of the covenant. What's next? The sign of the covenant. This is right after the passage Gail read. Uh, chapter 17, verse 10 says, Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. This is probably the point at which Abraham thought, Should I really have signed that blank sheet of paper? Abraham, all the men in his family, and all of his male descendants, when they were eight days old, were to be circumcised. So male circumcision became the sign of the covenant. Now, some folks may be getting a little nervous at this point in the sermon, because you're thinking when the service is over and we turn off the TV, the question is going to be asked, Mama, what's circumcision? And the answer is, baby, go ask the pastor by which she means Pastor Gray. Please go ask Pastor Gray. Now, it may seem strange to you that circumcision would be the sign of the everlasting covenant, but perhaps God put the sign of the covenant where He did so that when couples were thinking of future generations, they would not forget the everlasting promise of God that the promise of God was to them and to their children. But my point here would be, big picture, during the ministry of Jesus and in the earliest days of the church, male circumcision gave way to water baptism as the sign of the covenant. Christians affirm that baptism is now the sign of God's everlasting promise everlasting commitment to His people. And baptism has a number of advantages, including for men who convert to the faith as adults. But the biggest advantage is its inclusivity. 
that it can be applied to both men and women, that it can mark all of us as part of God's covenant family. If you've ever wondered, for instance, where the biblical justification of infant baptism comes from, it's from this. In the same way that circumcision was given to children, not just to their parents who proactively followed God, some Christians think baptism should operate that same way. Now, I'm not here to say you have to buy infant baptism. I do buy infant baptism. You don't necessarily have to. I'm just trying to show you where the idea comes from biblically. The big point of baptism is this. If you are a follower of Jesus, or if today or in the future you ever become a follower of Jesus, and you have not been baptized, I invite you to come and be baptized. Let's do it soon. Or if you were baptized as an itty-bitty kiddo, you received the sign of the covenant as an itty-bitty kiddo, but you've now put your faith in Christ. Let's come and celebrate and confirm your baptism that God has been faithful. Let's do it soon. Baptism is a beautiful thing. Baptism reminds us of God's everlasting covenant, His everlasting promise from all the way back in Genesis chapter 17. God knows what He's doing. God's had a plan all along. He's had a plan since the beginning of time, since His covenant with Abraham and with Sarah. And He's drawing you into that plan. He's drawing me into that plan. He's pulling our stories into His story. Even when we run away from God, God does not run away from us. And that's really the point. Why have a sign of the covenant in the first place? For the same reason parents send notes in lunchboxes as a reminder, as an assurance that you are seen, you are known, you are loved. God's everlasting promise from generation to generation to generation. He won't leave us, won't forsake us. We will be His people. He will be our God. God's covenant is beautiful, it is comforting, it is securing, it is transformative. And as most beautiful, securing, transformative things are, we need tangible reminders of them. And so God gives us that. It makes me wonder if we're going to get a second reminder of the covenant here in a few weeks. Hmm. I guess we'll have to wait and see. I know the suspense is killing you. Hopefully you can sleep. It's at the end of February. Okay, so what's left? We've done the nature of the covenant, the sign of the covenant, the... Assurance of the covenant. Thank you. I did not want to forget this part. The assurance of the covenant. Genesis 17, 9, God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. God says to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. So God's covenant with Abraham with Sarah, with their descendants, generation to generation to generation. It's a beautiful thing, but it also requires something of us. And herein lies the problem. I am all for the covenant requiring something of God. But me? You? God promised His commitment to us. He would never leave us. He would never forsake us. He also asks the same of us. 
to never leave Him, never forsake Him. How have we done with our side of the covenant? Not so good. How often we leave God's path to follow our own. How often we ask ourselves, how far can I stray from God without having my life fall apart? So this is the assurance of the covenant. This is an odd little passage from Genesis 15, 17. It says this, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. I'll read it again. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. That's the assurance of the covenant. Let's pray. Oh, wait, I'll explain it. Hang with me. Hang with me. In that day and time, as best we can reconstruct from history, Kings and subjects had a way of entering into an agreement. They would, and this was a technical term, they would cut a covenant. What that meant was they would take a sacrificial animal and cut it into halves, and then they would put those halves on either side of a small ditch or a low-lying area so that the blood would run into the ditch. The subject would then walk through the bloody ditch as his way of guaranteeing he was good for his end of the bargain. Right? In other words, my blood be spilled if I don't keep up my end of the bargain. Now, there's no reason for the king to walk through the bloody ditch because it's pretty well assumed the king is already good for his end of the bargain. Only the subject needs to walk through. The closest equivalent I can think of in our modern world is when you close on a mortgage. If you've ever gotten to do this, or in the future you'll get to do this, when you close on a mortgage, they will bring you a stack of papers this tall to sign your life away. Now, the mortgage company doesn't have to sign a stack of papers this tall. It's pretty well assumed they're good for their end of the bargain. But you and I have to walk through the bloody ditch. So read the verse again. When the sun had set, and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So what happened there? God appears as a smoking flame and passes between the pieces. In other words, the king took the place of the servant. The king said he would be on the hook if Abram and his descendants could not keep up our end of the bargain. We already assume God is good for His side of the covenant, but now God has guaranteed He's good for our side of the covenant. 
If we fail to keep our half, if we fail to be committed to God, if we fail to be faithful in our relationship with God, then may God's blood be shed. God put Himself on the hook for us, for you, for me. If you've ever wondered why it's so important that Jesus be fully human and fully God, why was Christians sing songs about Jesus dying in our place? It's because of God's everlasting promise from way back in Genesis 15. Jesus willingly is on the hook, on the cross for us. Jesus in His death felt the full weight of the broken covenant between God and humanity, and He did it because He's the only one who could withstand feeling the full weight of that fracture. Jesus is at the center of God's plan. Even from way back in Genesis 15, He desires to be at the center of our lives. He is the completion of the covenant from way back in chapter 15 when God promised He would be on the hook for our inabilities to keep His covenant for our inability to stay committed to Him. Jesus is the completion of that covenant. He's also the extender of that covenant. Jesus shows us once and for all, the covenant is not just for the biological descendants of Abraham and Sarah. The covenant is also for the spiritual descendants of Abraham and Sarah. That through Jesus, people of all nations, all families will be blessed because of the covenant. That's what God told Abram back in Genesis 12. All families are going to be blessed through your family. Abram and Sarai were presented with this almost blank sheet of paper and asked to sign, and God will fill in the details. You and I are presented by God with an almost blank sheet of paper and ask for our signature, will we leave behind the life that we've known? Will we leave behind the life that we've known and go wherever Jesus might lead us? Are we willing to become the people He's asking us to be? What shall we do? Do we sign this almost blank sheet of paper? He'll fill in the details later? I would say, let the assurance of the covenant embolden you. Sign away with the assurance that your falterings, your failures have already been accounted for. Jesus was on the hook for you willingly, on the hook for me willingly. And through Him, there is always room for you in this expansive, everlasting covenant. So my question to you would be this, how would the assurance of God's everlasting covenant change you? How would the assurance of God's everlasting covenant change you? Or differently ask for some of us, how has the assurance of God's everlasting covenant changed you? How would or how has God's everlasting covenant and its assurance changed you? God has promised to be committed to His people forever, from generation to generation, to be our God, and we will be His people. 
In fact, not only has He promised to do that, He made provision for that through His own sacrifice for the ways you and I fall short. What if it doesn't depend on us nearly as much as we think? What if you and I are invited to come and be changed in God's eternal embrace? Come and be changed in God's eternal embrace. Invite one more person to join you to come and be changed in God's eternal embrace. Does God care more about our character or our comfort? I think I'm finally ready to answer the question. I was asking it so many times as a child. Maybe God's desire for us is to be deeply comforted by His sacrificial love. To be deeply comforted by His sacrificial love so that we might then join Him in the hard work of transforming our character. What if the first step is to be deeply comforted by God's sacrificial love so that we might then join Him in the hard and transformative work of changing our character. Just a thought. Think about it, as Pastor Craig would say. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I thank You for our church family gathered online, gathered here at the YMCA. And I'm struck that yet again, You know what You're doing. You have a redemptive plan that is working itself out in our lives and in this world. And it doesn't always make sense in the moment. But in retrospect, sometimes we see it more clearly. Lord, I pray for each of us that we would follow in the footsteps of Abraham and Sarah and we would say yes to You. Say yes to You, God, who has already said yes to us. I pray that we would stop running away from Your sacrificial love, that we would cease feeling like we have to earn Your love and favor, and instead we would settle down into this everlasting promise, this everlasting commitment that You've invited us to be part of. And Lord, I pray that comforted by Your love, You would change us. 
that as we work at our jobs and in our studies, as we love our neighbors, as we share hope with others, as we serve people who are hurting, as we speak up for what's right, that You will transform us, that You will make us into people who, who live lives that point others to You. So do amazing work in us, Lord. Do amazing work in each person of our church family, but not under our own strength, but because we have come to say yes to You. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together.